Welcome to Theology Matters, a podcast that applies theology to everyday life. This podcast is a ministry of Bible Baptist Church of SOTUS. I'm your host, Pastor Nick Boothman. With me today is Jay Riggleman, lead pastor of Bible Baptist Church of SOTUS. Welcome, Pastor Jay. Thanks, Nick. It's good to be back with you again. Our topic today is this, misquoted some of the most misused verses in the Bible, part two. So Pastor Jay, why is this topic of misused verses so important to our listeners? Why do we have a part two of this? (laughs) Well, Nick, I want to remind our listeners that when a verse is taken out of context, misunderstood and misused, uh, some bad things can happen. First of all, there can be some really bad theology where we make the Bible say what we want it to say for us, and then there can be bad advice. We make the Bible say what we want it to say for others, and then there can also be bad feelings. Uh, When the perceived promises of a misused verse don't materialize, we can often get disappointed or discouraged thinking it's our fault that we didn't have enough faith or, or pray enough. Or we can even become mad at God for not coming through, and we say it's his fault. So the practice of misusing Bible verses is not just reserved for false teachers or ill-equipped pastors and teachers. I really think that well-meaning Christians are often the biggest proponents of these misused verses. Today's verse is one of the most well-known and quoted verses in the Old Testament. It is a promise held dearly by Christians around the world. Uh, This verse is found everywhere from coffee mugs to posters and t-shirts, and it's um, quoted in graduation ceremonies and, and other different Christian settings. But despite its popularity, this verse is often misunderstood, misused, and misapplied. So let me just share the verse and get it out there, and then uh, we can talk about it. The verse is Jeremiah 29, 11, and it goes like this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And, and many of our listeners have memorized and clung to this verse, and there's a, there's a claim that's often made to this with this verse, uh, and maybe not specifically by everybody, but it's an underlying claim that's pretty dangerous. Uh, Using this verse for support, um, the following claim has been made. Here it is, that that God has promised a wonderful plan for all Christians, which can include things like prosperity and peace and protection. In other words, are you having financial problems? Claim this verse. God has plans for you. He wants those to get better. He wants you to get wealthier. Are you having health issues? I know the plans I have for you. God wants you to be healthy. Are you having relationship struggles? I know the plans I have for you. God wants to make those all better. Are you facing painful circumstances? I know the plans I have for you, a hope and a future. God's going to make them all go away. I know the plans I have for you, prosper you. Unfortunately, this claim places the focus on us, that God has a wonderful plan for me. It's a very me-centered interpretation Finally, this claim really says as long as we stay obedient and close to God, he has mapped out prosperity, peace, and protection for all Christians, and it's directly tied to the misuse of this verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. Absolutely. And I can second what you're saying. In my experience, uh, this is a very common verse that uh, people have memorized and know by heart they can tell you without even looking at their Bible. 
And I think you're right. People use it in the way of, yeah, God has a wonderful plan for my life. You know, it's not looking good right now. You know, I got that rusty beater out back, but one day (laughs) God's going to turn that into a Lexus or uh, something good because, you know, God's got plans for me and he's got big things in store. And those big things is, you know, I'm not living in this house or driving this car or have this job. It's those plans must be really good for me. So you talked a little bit about uh, what it doesn't mean. If you could go into what does this mean and uh, we want to make sure we apply this in the right way. So how does it apply to us today? Well, we, we talk often on this podcast that theology matters, but also that context matters as well. So does this claim of uh, prosperity, peace, and protection, this plan that all of us should be embracing as Christians, does this claim align up uh, or align with the context of Jeremiah 29, 11? That's what we need to look at. And, and keep in mind that when interpreting the Bible, there is a difference between the meaning of a text and significance and application. Here's what I mean by that. A verse can have many applications or significance in our lives as far as how we apply it, but it can only have one intended meaning. In other words, I want to make sure listeners are hearing this. When it comes to Jeremiah 29, 11, it was written for us, but not to us. And there's a big difference. So God has plans for you, but who is the you in this verse uh, as far as the context goes? Well, Jeremiah 29 is written uh, as part of a historical um, narrative. It's writing history in a story-based form. So the context is that after the rule of Solomon, the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom Israel and the southern kingdom Judah. By the time we get to Jeremiah 29, 11, the northern kingdom, Israel, because of their idolatry and wicked leadership and disobedience, they, they faced judgment from God and had already been taken captive and had dissolved kind of as a nation many years prior. The southern kingdom, Judah, who Jeremiah is writing to, was now facing judgment for God for their own uh, sinful behavior and ungodly leadership. So God sent uh, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to enslave them and eventually destroy Jerusalem. Jeremiah 29.11 is written after the first deportation of Jewish captives to Babylon. So unless you and I are surviving Jewish exile, then we are simply privileged to listen in on this text. So let's explore the specific context for Jeremiah 29.11. It is part of a letter written by the prophet Jeremiah to the Jewish exiles in Babylon. The letter begins in verse 4, but we pick up in verse 10 of Jeremiah 29, and here's what it says. This is what the Lord says, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place, back to Jerusalem. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I have carried you into exile. So here's the proper context for Jeremiah 29 11. 
It is part of a letter written by the prophet Jeremiah to the Jewish exiles in Babylon, reminding them that their captivity would be significant 70 years, but not indefinite. So how does that work for us, or how does that apply to us? Well, we need to keep in mind that not every promise in the Bible is specifically intended for New Testament believers. Every, in the, every promise in the Bible is not for us. Uh, the prosperity gospel has quickly answered, yes, every promise in the Bible is for us. Then, And if Christians just have enough faith, God will reward them today with all the spiritual and material prosperity detailed in the Old Covenant blessings. But this simply does not align with the context of Jeremiah 29.11. It was for the people of God that would be that were being punished uh, for their sin and that God would bring them back. So the correct uh, explanation of this context is that God promises to bring Judah back to their land. I promise to prosper you. I have a plan for you. I have hope for you. Therefore, they had a future and a hope. It was written to a specific group of people during a difficult time with sobering news and good news. The difficult time was they would endure captivity and suffering. Uh, The sobering news was that it would be no quick return and back to normal. Uh, Don't listen to the false prophets. Be prepared to stay uh, a long time in Babylon. And the good news was that I will end this after 70 years. So the meaning of Jeremiah 29 11 isn't a personal promise written to you and me. It is a promise to the Jewish captives in Babylon. It's not a promise that if we follow God, he will allow us to prosper in this life. Very good. So just to kind of summarize, basically what you're saying is I don't live in Babylon. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not in uh, captivity right now, and I am not Jewish, and I'm not living um, thousands of years ago when this promise was made, and it was a very specific promise. So we can't take that prosperity and not to harm you just generally because it was a specific thing that was promised. And if you look at context, I think you made a really good point that the promise is about when the 70 years are completed, God would fulfill his promise that he made. Yeah, and, and it, it's a great verse. Jeremiah 29, 11 is a great verse, but the way that we approach it, it's almost like approaching God like uh, like a vending machine that, you know, hey, if, if things aren't going well, I'm just going to kind of reset or recheck my life and, and and talk to God a little bit about it and, or pray about it. And then he promises to come through that he, he's going to, he's going to fulfill these things for me and, and give me uh, success and prosperity. And that's, just, just a really uh, improper way to um, to view this verse. It's the wrong perspective about uh, the promises found in this verse and the character of God. Yeah, and you you talked about looking at things in context, which is really good. And we also there's a narrow context, and then there's the broad context of the entire Bible. And uh, if I remember correctly, Jesus also made some promises about Christians uh, basically promising that we would suffer and we would have difficulties in this life. So a lot of times people ignore those things because we don't we don't want we don't want to suffer. We don't want to turn to Jesus and have bad things happen. What I, persecuted? No, I'm supposed to get that that sweet Lexus in back, right? I, I don't want to get so there. There's not only ignoring uh, immediate context, but the context of the entire Bible. 
So I, I think you made a convincing argument that we're not the you. <laughs> On the flip side, we know that all scripture is God-breathed. We know that all scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So this verse, um, it, it has to be, it is God breathe. It's it's useful for us to train us and to teach us. So how how is it supposed to train and teach us? If we're not supposed to take it this way, how do we how does this verse apply to us and help us? Yeah, that's a great question. And I and I want our listeners to know I am not uh, putting down Jeremiah 20, not 11. And if they have a, a, a t-shirt with that on it or a hat, they can keep wearing it. Um, but just understanding again the proper context and then uh, what can we learn and, and take for our, for us today, New Testament believers from this verse. What I would encourage us to do is focus on what we learn about God. Uh, in this verse, not so much what's in it for us. What can we learn about God from Jeremiah 29, 11? And there's a few things I want to remind our listeners of that should be an encouragement to us because we will face problems. We will face difficulties. Um, the, the, the Bible teaches the theology of suffering is not a bad thing and that God takes us through these things and the rewards are beyond just what we would define as prosperity. It's spiritual growth. It, it's growing in our sanctification. So here's a couple of things that Jeremiah 29, 11 remind us of about God. Number one, God is the ultimate promise keeper. As you look back in the Old Testament, when God made this promise to the people of Judah, at the end of 70 years, we know that he brought them back. He kept his promise. So promises that we have in the New Testament in particular that apply to us as believers, we know that God will faithfully keep them to us. Will God give us eternal life? Will God listen to us? Does he carry our burdens? Uh, And many other things that are described about God for us in the New Testament and even in the Old Testament that are general promises that apply to everyone who has a relationship with God, um, God will keep those. Uh, So I'm encouraged by that. Number two, God is always faithful even when life is hard, and it often is hard. God was reminding them, not only I will bring you back um, after 70 years, but he was also reminding them uh, that he was faithful to them or he would be faithful to them. Because I would imagine not everybody lived or survived that whole time while they were in Babylon, but God was still faithful to them. He, he was still there for them, even in their difficult times, and he's still there for us. Uh, we can take that from this verse. Thirdly, we're reminded that God takes sin seriously. Uh, they were in captivity uh, because of their sin. And, you know, if we say, well, God has plans for us to prosper us, he will never harm us, th- that's true. Uh, but if we think harm doesn't mean he won't discipline us, that's not a promise in this verse. Um, he will take our sin seriously, and sometimes we have to uh, we reap what we sow, and, and we have to deal with this, and uh, keeping in mind that God takes sin seriously. And we can't go back to Jeremiah 29, 11 and go, oh, I know I'm doing things that are wrong or making wrong choices, but God, please prosper me. It just doesn't work that way. And then one um, kind of final reminder of what we know about God is that God through Christ will honor his grace covenant with believers. We are not Israelites, we're not under the old covenant, but he will honor his grace covenant with believers just like he honored his covenant with Israel. I want to share with you a few verses um, 
from 1 Peter 1, 3 through 6, that I kind of call the Jeremiah 29, 11 parallel text that we can embrace. And here's what Peter says. Praise be, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And this inheritance is kept for you uh, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a while, while you may have had had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So it's combining the great hope and, and, and prosperity that's awaiting us and, and the hope that we can have now, even in the midst of trials that we may face. Absolutely. Thank you for that. And what I love that you're doing is, one, you're teaching the people, you're teaching us about what this text says and how to read it correctly. What you're also doing, which I think is very helpful, is you're, you're teaching the listeners how to read their Bibles, which is so important because, you know, you're, you're talking about, okay, reading things in context and using the New Testament to, to pull everything together and just asking the right questions when you're reading the text. It's not always, okay, I'm going to put myself in their place, you know, like David and Goliath. Okay, I'm David, and what what um, <laughs> Goliath do I have to slay, right? We got to ask the right questions and say, okay, what, what does this teach me about God? What does this teach me about myself? You know, what does this teach me? So in the David and Goliath story, not to go too far off, but you ask that question, what does this teach me about God? Well, well, God is stronger than any other person or God or anything like that. So just an aside, I appreciate that you're, you're going into um, how, how do we read our Bibles? Because that's important. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, context and you know, understanding where that verse fits in uh, with kind of what's uh, the, the narrative or the genre that's being used is really, really important. Because standalone, Jeremiah 29, 11 is a wonderful verse. Again, I don't want to downplay its significance, um, but we make it too narrow and if we just apply it to ourselves. I would say, uh, just in closing, that Jeremiah 29, 11 contains some great promises about God. But if I use it to, to, to demand the American dream from God, then perhaps I should also be willing to endure 70 years of captivity if that's what God should choose for me. I, I would think it's better to use it to remind us of the faithful, promise-keeping character of God, both now in our lives and for the future hope that is yet to come. So no Lexus? Not today. <laughs> Not today. <laughs> Not today. All right. Well, thank you, Pastor Jay. That's all the time uh, we have today on Theology Matters. This is a podcast that applies theology to everyday life. Uh, please join us next time for when we continue with this study of misquoted, some of the most misused verses in the Bible, part three. Thank you again, Pastor Jay. You're welcome. I'm looking forward to it.